Okay, welcome everyone. Uh, really good to see you this morning. Uh, do grab a handout. Should be one en- enough for everybody uh, on each table. Uh, we're continuing our series in the Apostles' Creed. If you're new, uh, we're going through the Apostles' Creed line by line. It's uh, the basics of the Christian faith. That's what you can say. It's the, it's the ABCs. Often think about what would be a basic discipleship course or a basic evangelistic course. You could do a lot worse than going through the Apostles' Creed because it's what all Christians have believed. It's like the low bar uh, of what you need to know as a Christian. So when we say all Christians, we mean so today we're talking about you know, Reformed Christians, Presbyterian Christians like our churches, Charismatic Christians, Anglican, Baptists, Pentecostals, Catholics, all believe in the Apostles' Creed. And you could say... Uh, it's not so much what, what do we believe, but in whom do we believe. It's very much talking about the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit as one God in three persons. Uh, do you remember the three paragraphs? And these last few weeks we've been spending most time on the middle paragraph, which is the biggest paragraph, all about the Lord Jesus Christ. It starts about his divinity. I believe in Jesus Christ, his, that's the Father's only Son, our Lord. So a really big picture of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Uh, divine in nature uh, but the rest of that paragraph is really about his humanity and I guess by nature we, we naturally think of uh, Jesus Christ in his divine nature um, which, is, which is right, he is divine, he is God but very often we do that to the neglect of his human nature as well he's one person in two natures uh, and we'll see that today he continues in his human nature today he's not left his human nature now uh, to go to be in heaven as God again, but he's in his human nature as well. You okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hard having your boss on the front row. Abuse, yeah. Uh, warning. Um, so yeah, this week, um, uh, ascension. So read the line at the top. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. So it feels like maybe a bit of an add-on in many ways. I guess if we were writing our own creed today in, in this sort of length, I guess naturally, I guess a lot of us probably wouldn't think the ascension may be that important. Um, I came across this in in my reading this week. Five reasons why the ascension is often neglected today. Um, Firstly, it doesn't seem to be in the Bible a huge amount. Firstly, not a first reading. It doesn't seem uh, an awful lot. Not explicitly anyway. We're going to go on to some explicit text shortly. Um, But there's not an awful lot. I'm talking about Jesus Um, going uh, from earth to heaven Uh, you compare that to sort of things like his uh, divinity you know you've got we've got loads of proof texts we could appoint to Jesus divinity we could theologically how show Jesus uh, is divine Um, so yeah there's there's uh, I I, I, I get there's many ways that Jesus does things that only God can do we could show that sort of relatively easily uh, maybe harder on the ascension. We can talk about Jesus' humanity. Again, it's just the, four, the fact we have four Gospels. That's four whole books devoted to Jesus' uh, human nature. Uh, talk about his, his death. Again, another line in Apostles' Creed. Again, the whole Bible clearly is about his death. That's what Jesus says um, at the end of uh, Luke 24, doesn't he? What's written about him in the law, uh, the prophets and the Psalms, that he had to die and come back to life again. So yeah, firstly, it doesn't, seem like the ascension and first reading is as much in the scriptures as some of these things secondly it can often seem like a bad idea and i think just intuitively this really rings true jesus don't go away that's what the disciples initially thought when jesus was going away he had he had to say to them don't grieve don't be worried but it seems like a bad plan surely jesus on earth would be a better plan if if jesus was on earth today 
we think, well, what, what could he sort out? He could sort out the situation in Gaza, Israel, for a start. That's sort of on a macro level. But he could sort out my life as well. The things I find challenging, if he was here, intuitively, uh, it seems like a bad idea, the ascension. Thirdly, the disciples themselves were surprised by the ascension. Again, we'll see this uh, in a moment uh, in one of the passages we're going to read. Um, but it wasn't theologically obvious to them. Even after 40 days of Jesus' teaching, it was like the last thing they had to be taught. Um, fourthly, the physics is tricky. So when we're talking about the ascension, we'll see it in a second. We're talking about Jesus as a man with sort of matter, <laughs> atoms, molecules, uh, leaving this, well, leaving the earth, certainly, but leaving the, uh, leaving the universe, as it were. So what, what is going on there? What, what is going on? Um, he didn't die. We're not, the ascension, we're talking about Jesus, his second death. So he, he died, he came back to life again for 40 days, and then he died again. No, he's still alive. He still has a body. He's still human. He's not visible in this universe, though. So that's quite hard to work out. I don't think we're going to get an answer to that. Um, it's a mystery. But again, you think, hold on a second. The ascension, it, it's a tricky subject. And fifthly, it's often overshadowed by the resurrection. And what I mean by this is that very often language that talks about the ascension often talks about the resurrection and the ascension in one word. Um, so uh, the word ascension is not actually in the New Testament at all, but often it's talking about Jesus being raised. And of course, the initial thing of Jesus being raised is him being raised from death to life. But very often when we read in the scripture he was raised, it, it sort of means he was, yes, he was raised from death to life and then ascended. So um, it's a sort of summary term for raised some return for resurrection and ascension so very often we just go straight to resurrection because obviously that is a matter of first importance the apostle paul says 1 corinthians 15 but the ascension we're a bit sort of less clear on so a number of reasons why we're not so clear on it um let's just start there just think about it doesn't seem to be in the bible a huge amount uh, have a chat on your tables where where does the bible speak of jesus ascension um, now, obviously, explicitly that would be the New Testament, but think New Testament and Old Testament. I'll give you a few minutes to think about where does it talk about Jesus' ascension, either explicitly or alluded to it. Have a chat. Okay, does anyone want to... Um, let, let's start at the back. Uh, anyone want to give any... Uh, maybe the, ta- the, the table with the McAlpin on it? Brett, anyone from your table or, or the other McAlpin table? <laughs> It starts easy and then it gets harder. So, uh, who wants to go first? Rachel, are you looking at me like you've got an answer? Click on the intern. Yep. <laughs> right, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. If this is like family fortunes, the most common answer, you'd be at the bottom with one of the least common answers. But because one of the least common answers actually puts you at the top. So well done. Yeah, there's this sort of like um, ascension in the Old Testament. Just alluded to, but you've got um, yeah, Enoch and Elijah, don't you? They're take, taken up, aren't they, to be with God? Yeah. Thank you, Rachel. Yeah. Anything else? It doesn't have to be Old Testament. Anyone else? Yeah. Yeah, why is, why, is, why, is that, why is that ascension? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we're going to come on to that in a second. Yeah, thanks so much. That, excellent, yeah. Any others? 
Ephesians uh, 4. Ephesians 4. Well, it's actually referencing Psalm 68. So, when he ascended on by, he led a person captive. Yeah, great. So it's all about Jesus going up to heaven and then giving out gifts. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Any others? Dodging the easy ones, but we'll come on to them in a second. Anything else? Psalm 24. Yep. Tell us more about Psalm 24. Uh, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And then, then later on, lift up your head, O gates, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? That's... Yeah, so there's lots of these. Um, uh, ascend, there's these ascending psalms um, and who's going to ascend anyway that's a picture of Moses as well do you remember Moses goes up the mountain again to be in God's presence goes sort of he goes up and down a number of times but he goes up and when he's up there he's often praying for his people isn't he so um, yeah sort of essentially tight language there um, yeah I guess they're the main I guess you could go to Daniel couldn't you Daniel 7 you've got um, the son of man approaching the ancient of days is that a picture of the uh, ascension, the going to, um, the going to the Father. Okay, so it so it is there, sort of there, there, about sort of um, lots of lots of places. Um, the the key passages though are in terms of actually talking about the ascension are Luke twenty four and Acts one. So let's just read them out now, just so we're sort of all on the same page, as it were. Um, so Luke, Luke twenty four. There's a sense in which Luke, the writer, is repeating himself. Because remember, Luke writes Acts. He talks about his first book, his second book. Um, So Luke 24, verse 30 to 31. Sorry, not 30 to 31. 50 to 51. Luke 24. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Okay, so uh, Luke uh, 50 there. Sorry, Luke 24, verse 50. It's got this idea of blessing. He blesses them and then he goes up. Blessing, sort of a priestly type job. To hold up hands and bless the people. Um, it gives a clue. His ascension uh, is to do with his priestly work. Um, and verse 51, he is carried up. He, he, it's a passive thing as well. He, he, is, he is carried up to heaven. Something that happens to him. We'll see that uh a bit why that's significant later on. Uh, and let's turn over to Acts, just skipping out John in between. Acts 1. I'll read from verse, really just verse 9 is about the ascension there, but I'll read, I'll read from verse 6 to verse 11. Acts 1, verse 6 to 11. Um, so when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you receive power from when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, And said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So uh, a lot of stuff uh, going on here. Firstly, just note the disciples' surprise. uh, Verse 6. Are you going to restore the kingdom now? No, I'm going to go away for a bit. And then the angels come. What are you looking at? Don't you understand? He's away for a bit. Okay, so... um, uh, the disciples' confusion, 
interesting. Um, secondly, notice he's lifted up again. It's a passive thing, something that happens to him. And a cloud took him out of their sight, verse 9. So the sense in which it is the weather <laughs> that, draws the conclu- that draws the sort of mystery over Jesus' ascension, a cloud comes over. Um, what's going on there? Well, it's probably, I mean, not, not tonight was a, a proper cloud, but again, cloud pictures again and again in the Old Testament of God's presence. There's a sense in which he is taken up uh, by God. And it is just worth thinking about what, what would we have seen if there was no cloud there? What if, what if we had a drone and a drone went up with Jesus, with, with a camera on? Everyone's got one these days. What would we have seen? What was actually going on? Um, we don't know. We don't actually know uh, what we'd have seen. I guess he must have disappeared. Uh, but the point is <coughs> uh, that he's, he's, he's not now in space. It's not like, the, the, like a sort of a, a spaceship goes up to heaven, then a cloud comes over, and then you just don't see it again. But it's still going up and up and up and up. No, he's gone from earth. And then, again, it says a number of times this, to heaven, to heaven, to heaven. That's where he's gone. He's gone to be uh, with a place of God. So uh, what are we talking about talking about ascension? We're talking about Jesus going from earth. Uh, to heaven. Even then we say to heaven, there's a sort of quite big semantic range that would mean a number of related but different things. Um, so it doesn't quite iron everything out. Um, but that's, a, that's, that's really what we're talking about. Jesus is no longer on earth or the earthly realm. He's now in the heavenly realm. Um, let's just think about the timeline a little bit. So um, again, really just want to draw attention to that. This is part of his incarnate ministry. Again, so I've just done a little timeline. He's incarnate, let's just say AD 0 his death, AD 33, so he dies on, uh, sort of just to say, uh, T minus one. Um, uh, the Sabbath, he's, he's buried, uh, T plus one, the resurrection day, um, he's raised. And then for 40 days, he's on earth uh, with his disciples. Um, and then it's the 50th day, uh, day of Pentecost, that the spirit comes down. And again, did you notice in the Acts, oh, he, he's, talk, he's talking that his ascension is related to the coming of the Spirit. So Acts 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So he gives them a commission. And as Jesus goes up, the Spirit comes down. Not exactly the same time. It's a few days later, but it's the same sort of, it, it is, in many ways, it's part of the uh, same event. So the Pentecost and ascension are strongly associated together associated together and finally when we talk about ascension Simon alluded to this earlier on when we talk about Jesus ascension there's a sense in which it's a bit I mean I really just stuck to the language um, of the line of the Apostle Creed he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the God so the ascension is like the journey uh, the his seated place that's often what we talk about his session it's the fact that he is seated that's what session means it means to be seated Uh, that's where he's going to be now I just trying to sort of speculate how long would his, would his ascension take. And again, I read about this week. Someone said, some people say it would have been very, very quick. Others say very, very slow. I think probably something in the middle, like total speculation. No, 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 no one has a clue. But the reality is it did happen on that day. He ascended. And then ever since then, uh, 2,000 years later, he is still seated at the right hand of the Father. So the, the ascension was an event that happened in time. He went up. And ever since there... Jesus has been um, seated um, at the right hand uh, of the Father. Um, and this, this is really significant. So again, I, put, uh, I think I put it on the handout, Romans 8, verse 34. 
Jesus, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. So um, today, the ascension is a, is a means to an end. He, it's, a, it's a journey for him to be sitting at the right hand of the Father, where now he rules. So when we, but very often these two, maybe it should be, maybe it shouldn't be, I don't know. But when people talk about his ascension, they're including within that idea that his session or his seating today. A bit like earlier on, we talked about Jesus being raised up. We often talk about the resurrection, actually including in that the ascension. Very often when we talk about the ascension, it's sort of shorthand for his, his ascension and his session, his seating at the right hand today. So with that, five reasons why the ascension is important uh, to today. Uh, um, so uh, firstly Jesus session is actually all over the New Testament okay so ascent is uh, is 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 very rarely there Um, but his session his his I mean again Rory Rory, uh, pointed us didn't he to uh, Ephesians was it Ephesians 4 I think Rory he he ascends and gives gifts but that one of a very few exceptions that talk about his going up but him being seated at the right hand of the father is all over the New Testament so when Jesus is on trial, he says, you, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. At Matthew 28, he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. He's referring there to uh, Daniel chapter 7, where the Son of Man goes with Ancient of Days and rule with him, referring to his, his rule there. Jesus, again and again, in John's Gospel, talks about him going to the Father. Again, that's, sort of, uh, that's the ascension idea, isn't there? Um, 1 Corinthians 15, it's a resurrection passage, but also strong allusions to Jesus' reign there. And then, as we'll see shortly, the whole book of Hebrews, really, is based, uh, not not the whole of it, but so much of it is about Jesus, what he is doing uh, today. So it is massively in the New Testament. Once we we realize we're talking about Jesus' reign, it's all over the New Testament. Secondly, um, first Christian sermons, hugely talking about Jesus has been raised, uh, not just from the dead, but he has been ascended. He has ascended. Both Peter's sermons and Paul's sermons usually refer to it. Thirdly, key hinge in salvation history. So we talk about the new covenant, don't we? The, the, the new covenant when uh, uh, God's spirit is given to all people and his, uh, his disciples are sent out into the world. We often associate that with Pentecost, and rightly so, but Ascension and Pentecost, they're sort of uh, two sides um, to the same coin. Uh, yeah, two sides of the same coin. So then I thought, come on to that in a second. Um, so uh, this idea, yeah. So sorry. So Jesus goes up, the Spirit comes down. That's a, I, I think I've, I'll put that down. A third. So yeah, the key. Sorry, key hint of salvation history: the Holy Spirit. That's a really big one. The ascension, of the Holy Spirit. Jesus goes up, the Spirit comes down. He is exalted, and as he's exalted. He pours out the Spirit. In fact, let's look at that verse. Just go with me, Acts 2, verse 33. I think it's a really key verse. And we're talking about ascension and what Jesus is doing today. Acts 2, verse um, 33. Uh, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of... In fact, let's go from 32. This Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are witnesses. So raising up, we often think of resurrection, don't we? But notice here, Peter's talking about resurrection and ascension, because verse, verse 33 being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, where he is today, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So do you see, Jesus is raised up and then he pours out the Spirit. He ascends, he's given the Spirit, then he pours out the Spirit. So ascension massively important in terms of um, the new covenant. 
um, or the days of the Holy Spirit. Uh, another one is mission. Um, so the command, we, we, we're told, aren't we, to go and make disciples of all nations. Um, but that comes from a reality. The rea- we're told to make disciples of all nations because Jesus is the Lord of all nations. Um, he's a, the ascended Lord Jesus is now Lord over all people as the God-man. And finally, um, just the nature of the gospel. Everything, what is the gospel? What is the gospel in its purest, most simple form? Well, someone said it's just three words. Jesus is Lord. That is the good news. And it's good news, of course, because Jesus is uh, a good God. He's the God who dies for his people, cares for his people, loves his people, uh, will make the world good again. But his, his, the fact that he's Lord is shown by his ascension and acceptance by God. Uh, two more reasons. It's in all the creeds. So I put Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, Athanasian Creed, and then uh, the Reformed Confession. So the Westminster Confession, it's all over that. 39 Articles, the Anglicans, the Baptists, the Lutheran Confessions. It, it, is, it is absolutely everywhere. So it really is. It's like a, a key doctrine. And then finally, theological implications. Again, we'll sort of we'll tease some of these out um, in a bit. But it hugely relates to how, well, how we've, we've talked about Jesus. Um, well, again, the Acts, Acts 2, verse 33, haven't we? Jesus ascends. The Father gives the Son the Spirit who is sent up. Very uh, Trinitarian in terms of how is God working today. So that's a question I want you to discuss. Uh, what, if someone said to you, what is Jesus doing today? Often we talk about what has Jesus done in the past? He's died on the cross. If someone said to you, what is Jesus doing today? How would you answer them? Have a chat in your tables. Then we'll have a think about that ourselves. Okay, I'm not going to uh, take any answers. Um, but there's a sense in which that... that the answers to those questions, uh, which we'll have a think about now, are like almost the cash value of the ascension. What is Jesus doing today? So um, what, what benefit, we could say, is it to the world? What benefits the church? What benefit is it to me that Jesus has ascended? Because it doesn't seem beneficial, does it? I would, I, instinctively, we would just love it if Jesus would follow us around uh, for the day to help us. Um, I guess really the, the main one to think about this is uh, in two parts. Uh, one is um, talking about his intercession, and one talk about his reign. So his priest, very often we talk about Jesus has three offices, prophet, priest, and king. We could talk about his prophet as well. How does he continue today as prophet from the right hand of God? I just want to think about uh, priest and king, uh, given time. Um, but firstly, Jesus, uh, he's, he's doing two things. One is intercession, and one is reign. He is, he is our priest. Now, Jesus being the priest, a massive theme in Hebrews. We're going for it at focus with the students uh, it's, 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 it's a quite a tricky topic, but it's a massively beneficial one uh, for your heart, realising that Jesus uh, is your priest. So what is a priest? Again, it's, it's, it's unpacked, really, the idea of priest in the Old Testament. And then New Testament, like, yeah, and that's Jesus. That's basically what's... It's, you, if you want to understand Jesus, you need to look at the Old Testament. It's like he's just identified, and he is spelled out a little bit. Um, but really, the role of a priest is to represent the people to God on their behalf. Now the priest had to be sanctified himself because he was uh, sinful and he had to bring a sacrifice uh, for God's people as well. And the reason that is, is because God is holy and we're not and we can't just waltz into God's presence. Okay, so that's really what we're talking about, about Jesus uh, being our priest, intercession. So just thinking about his ascension then, uh, where has Jesus gone? Well, he's gone into God's presence. Remember, the Old Testament priest uh, went into the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of uh, Atonement. Well, that is where Jesus has gone. But all that was just a picture. 
So we don't think of Jesus, oh, he's a priest a bit like the Old Testament. It's the other way around. It's the Old Testament is a bit of a picture of the reality uh, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, Jesus is our high priest. So Hebrews 4, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. <clears throat> we often think, just think we don't need priests anymore, do we? And of course, there's a 100% right interpretation of that. But we need to remember, no, we do need a priest. But we just have, we have a, we have the priest who will actually work for us, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the essential thing is not just Jesus going away. It's Jesus going from one place to another place to serve us. And secondly, he's, he's gone as a man. So again, Hebrews 5, for every high priest chosen from among men, so a man to represent men, is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. Again, now this is, this is not the author of Hebrews really talking about Old Testament priests, it's talking about Jesus' priesthood. He is a man. That's why it's so important to think of Jesus as a man, not to neglect his divinity, <clears throat> but we must think about his humanity. But not just any man, a sinless man. He goes into God's presence ahead of us. Um, and that's why he says to his disciples uh, in, uh, on his uh, night before his crucifixion, he says, little children, yet a little while, and I'm with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. We can't come with Jesus because we're sinful. If we were to go up in this ascension with him, we'd just be obliterated. We, we, we could not go. Well, maybe with him we could actually. If we went ahead of him, we, 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 could, we could not go because we'd be obliterated. But the reason Jesus goes is, again, John 14, uh, to prepare a place for us. Do you remember he says, uh, do not let your hearts be troubled. Why not? Because he's going to prepare a place for us to be with him in the future. And that place is in God's presence. Um, again, also under Hebrews 8. Let me read that out to you. And now the point in what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Okay, so first thing about this ascension, where has Jesus gone? He's, he's our priest and he's gone to be with the Father for us. Okay, what is he doing? He's presenting, he's sacrificed. So, uh, remember, Old Testament priests had to have a sacrifice for himself and a sacrifice for his people. But Jesus needs no sacrifice for himself because he's perfect. But he still takes the sacrifice, not in his hands, but he himself is the sacrifice. He comes uh, to God on our behalf by his own blood. Again, Hebrews. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of his people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. So Jesus, going, he's going as the priest, but he's also going as the offering. So he sort of fulfills the sort of tabernacle in more than one way. And he enters God's presence by his own blood. Um... And then, of course, he takes us there too. Do you remember again the Old Testament, the high priest, he goes with stones on his side. This is such a beautiful picture. The priest entering God's presence with the stones, uh, the 12 tribes who on their heart and the names on their shoulders. And that is what's happening in the ascension. Uh, Jesus goes to be with the Father and he takes us with us too. That's what Colossians 3 is about. If then you have been raised with Christ... That is, spiritually speaking, where we are. We're now in God's presence. Hence the hundreds of verses, not hundreds, but the many, many promises in the Old Testament tell us to approach God uh, boldly.
And then thirdly, what is he doing in the temple? Uh, sorry, what, yeah, what is what is he doing in the heavenly tabernacle? Well, he's uh, in one sense, he is just just being there is a thing that he's doing because we are there with him. He is there, we are there. But he's not just passive; he is actually doing something. Um, so Hebrews seven twenty five. Consequently, he is able to save the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for him. So that is what the priest does. He intercedes for the people. Now, um, I guess the verse that we're most probably common, we're, we're most familiar with Jesus' intercession um, is, is 1 John 2. Um, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, uh, the righteous. Um, so we have this advocate, this intercessor for us there. And, you know, familiarity can uh, breed contempt, can't it? We must never forget that Jesus is at the right hand uh, of the Father advocating for us when we sin. So every time we sin, uh, we have Jesus uh, covering it for us. He is the sacrifice. It's not that he's twisting God's arm. Remember, God the Father loved the world. That's why he sent the Son. He's not having to change God's mind. But he's also the God of justice. Justice needs to get done. Sins need to get dealt with. And Jesus is our intercessor. And it's beautiful if you look at John 17, just before Jesus dies, look at the sort of thing he prays for his people. So he prays that for his disciples that they've been kept in Christ. He says, keep them in your name. That's what he's praying for us, that we'd be kept in Christ. He's praying that they'd be kept from evil. He's praying that we'd be kept from evil. He's praying that they'd be made holy. He is praying for us today that we'd be made holy. He's praying that we'd be with him. Isn't that a remarkable thing? Jesus prays for us that one day we would be with him. That is how secure our salvation is. Um, So, summary, what is Jesus doing today? He is being a priest. He's seated at the right hand of the Father uh, with our sins completely covered and he's interceding for us uh, on our our behalf. So sometimes, I guess, we, we lack assurance. We know we've messed up. And one of the best ways to address your assurance is to forget, just forget yourself for a second. Don't think, how bad am I? Think, how good is my priest? How successful is my intercessor? If you really can picture what Christ has done and what he's doing for you today, you will never hesitate to go to your father. I mean, it does take time. We we need to train ourselves. We need to pray, what is Jesus doing today? He's interceding for me. I have an advocate. Isn't that wonderful? I can approach God at any time because he is there. And because he is there... I am there in him, cleansed, having someone intercede for me, which means I too can approach my father with confidence. And very briefly, what does it mean today? Jesus is reigning. So Jesus is, in his ascension, he's just installed as king. And, I, and I, again, I find this one quite hard to get my head around. Hold on a second, it, wasn't Jesus already king, Lord, in, before he was incarnate? He is the second person of the Trinity. He is God himself, so he's ruling. Well, yes, that is definitely true, but we often forget, don't we, but God's plan for creation was always to have uh, humanity rule. So Genesis chapter 1, fill the earth and subdue it. That is, that is what we've been, uh, the task we've been given to do, humanity, to subdue the earth. Then we've got Psalm 8, don't we? Remember the Psalm, Psalm 8? So I think I heard someone mention Psalm 8 here earlier on talking about the ascension. Uh, what, he's just blown away. He's like, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him? He's like, Lord, how, how do you care about us? But you really do. Uh, you put everything under his feet. We have been made to rule the earth and everything to be under our feet. Now, later on in Hebrews, uh, the author reflects on this. 
And he says, at present, we do not see everything under his feet. But then he says, but we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because he suffered death. Jesus is the one who is truly, as a man, God as well, yes, but as a man, worthy to reign. Why? Because he has conquered. Uh, he, he, has, he has suffered for us. He has defeated sin. He has defeated death. And so in his ascension, Jesus is installed as king, as the one who can rightly rule. Uh, and that leads us then to think about, okay, well, on earth, Jesus ruled locally, didn't he? Do you remember how almost everything that Jesus did was local? He didn't sort of just hear about stuff and do it for another location. Now, once or twice he does do that, but it's totally by exception. He's almost always dealing with things in his local situation. Um, but now he is uh, with God. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. I, I, I read something that I thought was really helpful. I didn't want to butcher it, so I'm going to read it. So it said, when Christ ascended, he sat at the right hand of God. But that place is also everywhere, for God is everywhere. The reality of the ascension goes beyond our human comprehension. Now, it's quite helpful. He, he's still a man, but he's with God. But God is everywhere. So in his, in his human nature, he is still, in a sense, everywhere uh, ruling. And what is he doing? Well, two things really are written down. He's conquering his enemies. So again, we th- often think of uh, the angelic powers and authorities. And we think they're much more powerful than us. But again, the author of Hebrews wants to say, no, it's actually uh, human beings who are those who are to rule over the whole creation even over angels, uh, even over demons we're meant to be ruling. Obviously, demons will be dealt, dealt with the Lord Jesus Christ's return. But we are the ones who are meant to, meant to rule. Uh, so he is uh, conquering his enemy. He's, he's sovereign over all powers. He's sovereign over the uh, demonic. He's also sovereign uh, over uh, all people. And that gets on the, the, the last point. Jesus rules his church. So do you remember how Acts talks about everything that Jesus began to do? implication sorry Luke sorry at the start of Acts he says in my first book I told you about what Jesus began to do in other words in this book I'm going to tell you what he um, he continues to do well Jesus is mostly sp- spoken about it seems like Luke's the book about Jesus Acts the book about spirit no no Acts the book about Jesus as well how Jesus rules uh, through his spirit now we looked earlier on at Acts 2 verse 33 how Jesus was ascended given the spirit and now he pours out the spirit on all people. He rules uh, through his people. And in his reign, he's been given the spirit and he's poured it out onto his church, which is what he's doing now. He's building up his church that he might rule and reign uh, through his church. As he says uh, earlier on in um, Matthew, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against them. So Jesus is ruling today as a man has poured out his spirit, not, not as God, but also as a man, pouring out his spirit, the spirit-anointed man, on his church. And uh, the church is advancing. The gates of hell, the defensive gates of hell that try to resist the advance of the church will not be able to prevail. Why? Because Jesus is ruling. Okay, we've run out of time. Let me just point you to two questions, and I just, I'm going to just briefly tell you the answers. Um, but I think pastoral, they could be quite helpful. So just uh, first question I put down. How would the truth of the ascension help you comfort a friend who's worried about a recurring sin of their life? That goes back to the one John stuff, doesn't it? Um, 
Do you remember, I write these things that you do not sin. So don't sin, stop it. <laughs> but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Where is Jesus today? He's at the right hand of the Father. Uh, that's what we need. If someone's stuck in a recurring sin, you can do a lot worse. In fact, it's a wonderful thing to do, to point them. Just stop them looking at themselves and start them looking at their intercessor, Jesus Christ, who is next to the Father. Uh, second question, how would the truth of the ascension help you comfort a friend who's worried about the state of the world, the decline of the West, the future of the church? Again, it's wonderful, isn't it, to point to the fact that Jesus is king. We have no idea what Jesus will do with our world, except to say we know he's going to continue and continue uh, to build his church. And that should be of great encouragement to us. Nothing is out of control. It looks out of control to us, but he reigns. So let's keep looking to him, keep trusting him. Okay, I'm going to close there in prayer. If you want to chat about any of that stuff, come and grab me afterwards. We've got about 15 minutes before the service starts. Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you that you lived the perfect life, uh, that you died the death we should have died. Now, Father, thank you for raising Jesus. Uh, thank you for justifying him, for showing us that he is righteous. And thank you for raising up now to your right hand, and that you rule through him. Uh, we praise you, Jesus, that you are our perfect intercessor, you, you interceder. We pray uh, that you are the one who uh, has died for our sins and you speak to Father on our behalf. We pray that you'd encourage us to look to you as we wallow in our sin. And we pray, Lord Jesus, we have great confidence in your reign. Lord Jesus, we pray, build your church, build it quicker. And we ask these things for your glory. Amen.